This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast, and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional, and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. There it is, Buddy Hill alone at the top of the Kings record book. Oh, I like to see Fox Force 5 in the open court. Fox into the lane. Oh, if you don't like that, you don't like Kings basketball. Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Brendan Nunez, and today I have a special guest that is the athletic cover for the Hawks. That is Chris Kirshner. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I appreciate you taking the time to come on and talk a little bit of basketball with me. Yeah, no problem. So first, I wanted to get your take, and I'm assuming that you have Trey Young as your rookie of the year this year. No, I actually don't. I mean, what Trey did was definitely incredible and probably not expected by a lot of people, including me. I wasn't covering the team at the time of the draft, so I wasn't fully, you know, invested in one way or the other or, you know, should the Hawks keep Luka Doncic. I mean, I was an NBA fan, don't get me wrong, before all this happened with me getting this job, but when that when the time came for the draft, I mean, as a, a casual observer and no interest at all one way or the other, I personally couldn't believe that the Hawks ended up trading Luka to Dallas for Trey Young in exchange for him and a top five pick in this top five protected pick in this draft. Mainly because, you know, I, I saw Luka, what he did in the Euro League, which is the second best basketball league in the world, one MVP definitely established that okay like this guy is legit and once he comes to the NBA like there shouldn't really be too much of a, a learning curve there so you know when the Hawks did trade uh, Luca to Dallas I mean as someone who was watching the NBA I couldn't believe it because yeah we all saw what Trey did at Oklahoma in his one year obviously incredible showed that he can shoot from anywhere on the floor but the thing with Trey is that, okay, like he could, he did that in college. He did that in the Big 12. I mean, he's obviously undersized. Could he translate his game to the NBA? And there were definitely a lot of question marks there because, you know, he is one of the smaller guards in the league. He's not the most athletic. He's not the strongest. He probably never will be any of these things. 
So what he did in his rookie season was, in my opinion, incredible. I don't think anybody expected this. I'm actually working on a story right now for The Athletic in which Lloyd Pierce, Atlanta's coach, said that you know when he was looking at this roster, he had no idea how this team was going to score. He had no idea that Trey was going to be able to get to the rim as easily as he, as he did this year. Nobody expected Trey to have one of the best floaters in the game already. Believe it or not, he scored on his floater more than James Harden. And James Harden obviously is associated with, you know, getting to the rim and using his floater, whether it's to score or whether it's to throw lobs to Clint Capella in the paint. So Trey already has established himself as having one of the better floaters in the league, you know, in in year one, which is, in my opinion, incredible. So what he did, definitely deserving of being in the rookie of the year race, but still what Luca did from October till April has him, in my opinion, as the rookie of the year. Yeah, with Trey Young, it was more so what we saw him progress into. And where did you see those, those steps kind of go to that next level? I mean, a big one that was pretty obvious was the three-point percentage, but was that right. just taking better looks, or they happened to fall a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think a common mis- misconception with Trey, for people who didn't watch the Hawks all season, which I'm sure it's a lot of people who watch the NBA. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people were not watching the Hawks on a nightly basis, and I don't blame them. They they are still one of the worst teams in the league, even though they're very exciting. But Trey, you know, he had that one absolutely disastrous month in November. But outside of November, you know, he played pretty well. And even in November, he still averaged eight assists per game. But during that month, Obviously, the shots just weren't falling. He was pressing. Um, definitely felt the pressure of Doncic and what he was doing in Dallas because people had already started calling him, not only around the league, but in the city of Atlanta, a bust. And as a 20-year-old, that got to him because Trey is, if there's one thing people should know about Trey is that he is super, super confident. He always believes that no matter what, he is one of the best players on the floor. And, you know, that's definitely something that is going to help him moving forward. I definitely think it helps him throughout the season, especially once he got more comfortable. But mechanically, he didn't do anything different from November to March. I asked him about it, and he said there wasn't anything different I did. He just felt like the game had gotten slower. And you can see that because once he started playing point guards, two, three, four times. He just got more comfortable. He knew their tendencies. Trey is big into watching film. He's not really one to to go out and party once the games are over. There there were several games throughout the season. Once the game was finished, he would go to the practice court and put up shots. So it's he's that kind of player. So I, I just think that, you know, in during that month of November, the shots just weren't falling. He was pressing a bit. He wanted to show Atlanta that the Hawks didn't make a mistake. And even though Luka was doing what he was doing, like it was still going to be an okay trade at the end of the day. And then the rookie on Sacramento side, uh, Marvin Bradley, the number two pick, got picked before before you saw Trey Young and that swap. 
Mm-hmm. He, interestingly, has been 10th in the minutes per game out of all the rookies this year behind guys like Kevin Herter, who another really standout rookie on your team this year. I mean, mm-hmm. were you able to catch any of Bagley this year and see his progression a little bit? It kind of reminded me of Young in the way where at first it was it was rough and it slowly just started right. to fine-tune some things out. Yeah, no doubt. And again, like you said, I mean, Bagley was picked before Luca, and um, you know the national conversation was that the Hawks somehow messed up the worst out of everybody, even yeah. though that they got an asset in return. But yeah, Bagley definitely struggled a bit in the beginning of the season, and he turned out to be a good player. You know, the Kings were obviously in contention to be in the playoffs at one point. Once Bagley got hurt it seemed to crater the Kings' chances of making the playoffs. So, I mean, that I think that shows you just how valuable Bagley was to the Kings in his rookie season. I personally, you know, from my perspective, covering the Hawks, again, a lot of people thought the Hawks messed up the, the most out of the teams in the top three who passed on, on, on Luka. But, again, what the Kings got in Bagley definitely showed that – the Kings didn't mess up either. Like they got a good player themselves. You know, I, I didn't think Bagley was going to be this good already. And he's shown already that, okay, like the Kings have a really solid foundation now with Bagley, Fox and Buddy Heald. So I think both of these teams, the Hawks and Kings definitely made out okay on draft night. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting situation where I think everyone that picked in the top five is going to come out happy with who they took. Absolutely. Yep. I definitely agree. And just this rookie class in general, what what they did pretty much across the board was pretty sensational. I didn't. I don't think a lot of people realize just how good this rookie class actually is. I did a story uh, last week on who I think is going to make the the rookie teams. And there's like 13 guys who could make the rookie teams this year. And and sometimes, you know, when you look at previous years, you look at those rookie teams, you're like, oh, like this guy made it. Like, and it just shows you like the, the, the lack of talent in those draft classes. So, you know, this class showed that they came to play and there's a really, there's like 13 rookies this year who have cases to be on those teams and maybe even more, you know, Alonzo Trier could be in the mix. Kevin Knox had some games where he looked like he was really good, but kind of had an uneven year. So again, like there have been, there are so many rookies this class that really balled out. And I think that's a really good testament for the future of this league. There's obviously even more than you touched on, you know, like a Jalen Brunson, a Josh Kogi. Right, for sure. The yep. Rooks from the Nets. I mean, mm-hmm. there's been some crazy mm-hmm. guys. Actually, the next thing I had for you was kind of breaking down those rookie teams a little bit. I felt like the first one was a little easier to call. I think Trey and Luca and Aiden are pretty comfortably in there. And then I put yep, Bagley and sure. Sexton as the other two. Would you agree with those two? Yeah, so I, I did a story on um, Kevin Herter and why I think he should be on the second team. I don't think he has, I don't think he's going to make the first team, but in that story, I had uh, Trey, Luca, Aiton as the three lock. I had Bagley as the fourth and Sexton as the fifth. So yeah, I, I agree with you there. And then I think Jaron Jackson definitely has a case for first team. I think it's probably going to come down to Sexton or Jackson for that final spot on the first team. 
mainly because I had Jackson on the second team because he missed, I think it was like 20-something games. I know they shut him down prior to the All-Star break, but what Sexton did, especially, I mean, he was kind of the same way with Trey in regards to was really suspect in the beginning. A lot of people were like, yikes, like this guy, is he gonna, is he an actual point guard? I mean, what what is his deal? And then he turned it around and was totally okay. Um, obviously, same thing with Trey, defensive issues. But again, that's probably something that can't be fully evaluated until a few years when they do have more experience. But yeah, I think the the five that I just said, Trey, Luca, Aiton, Bagley, and Sexton will probably make the first team. Glad we're on the same page on that one. So then the second team I was looking at, I was – it was weird for me. Like you said, I mean, there's so many players. I felt like Shea Gilgis Alexander and Jaron Jackson yep. belonged in there. And yep, then, they're locked. Like, I liked Wendell Carter Jr., but he missed a lot of time, more so than Jaron yeah. Jackson. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I was a big fan of Mikhail Bridges. I think that the defense was big there. There's also a Landry Shamit. So yep. mine, mine that I had was Gilgis Alexander, Mikhail Bridges, Mitchell Robinson, Jaron Jackson, and then it was between Shamit and Kevin Herter. Yeah, so in the story I had, I had Mitchell Robinson. I think he's a lock for sure. Gilgis Alexander, definitely a lock. He's a starting point guard on a playoff team, even though the Clippers are probably not going to beat the Warriors. But, you know, he is a starting point guard for the Clippers and I don't think anybody expected the Clippers to actually be in the playoffs in the first place after trading Tobias Harris to Philadelphia. Outside of him, outside of those guys, I had Shamit. I mean, he's turned out to be a really deadly three-point shooter. I mean, he's shooting better than 42% from three, and he has a chance to be one of two rookies, the other being Steph Curry, to average at least two threes per game and shoot better than 40% in their rookie season. And then, yeah, like you said, uh, you know, Kevin Herter definitely um, is in contention to be one of those final spots. Turned out to be a really good shooter, like Landry Shamit, probably two of the better three-point shooters in this rookie class. Mikhail Bridges definitely has a case. Crew Roots definitely has a case. You mentioned Jalen Brunson earlier. He has a case. I don't think he's going to make it, though. Miles Bridges in Charlotte definitely has a case. So, I mean, I think in the end... When the teams are announced, I think the second team should be Jaron Jackson Jr., Shea Gilgis, um, Mitchell Robinson, Landry Shamit, and Kevin Herter. I think that's the second team if I was voting. Yeah, so not too far off from what I had. And, I mean, even like second-year guys, you guys have John Collins that has been great for Mm -hmm. you. He's taken a nice lead. Mm -hmm. And the Kings have Fox, who's been most improved candidate. Obviously, there's some other guys that yep. head and shoulders right. above him. I mean, a hypothetical, would you rather have like a young Collins? And I feel like we're both probably going to pick our own cores here. Would you rather see a young Collins or Fox Bagley? Huh. Um, I feel like, am I right that the question mark there for, or the, the weakness there in that Atlanta is the defense, right? Yeah, no doubt. Young is obviously a turnstile on defense. Just very, very bad defender. Um, there's no, there's no hiding that fact. I mean, he's turned out to be one of. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think he has the worst 
defensive rating in the league as far as everyone goes. And I mean, he he just showed that you know he was overmatched. A lot of teams would have bigger guards on Trey, and we're we're scoring at ease. I mean, it didn't matter what the opposing point guard was or what his skill level was. It seemed like every night the opposing point guard who was facing the Hawks had a really good game. So that's definitely a question mark moving forward for the Hawks. And then with Collins, definitely defense is an issue there. You know, at the end of the season, he actually turned out to be an okay defender. His blocks definitely jumped up. And I asked him about it, and he just felt like, uh, he was more comfortable at the end of the season. Like he, he finally figured out like, okay, like this is what I'm supposed to do in Lloyd Pierce's system where Lloyd was Philadelphia's defensive uh, coordinator, quote unquote, um, for the Sixers where he was for five years. So I do think Collins' defense improved. So if I were to choose one of the, the two groups, man, that, it's a tough one. I would probably say, yeah, I, I would say Fox Bagley. I think Fox is is a better point guard right now than Trey. I mean, Trey could definitely develop in year two. I mean, obviously Fox has a, a year on on Trey, and Collins obviously has a year on Bagley. But I just think the gap between Trey and Fox is a bit wider than Collins and Bagley. Yeah, and to me, kind of like you touched on, the difference is the capabilities on the defensive side. Like, yeah, right. The wingspan is a little bit of a worry, and then Young has a little bit of undersized. And Fox and Bagley mm-hmm. both have that potential there. Is it is it the same that both of these, the point guards, is the future leader of this team, right? Yes, for sure. I, I, there's no doubt about it. I mean, um, before the games, like in, in the huddles, um, Trey was the one breaking them down. So they, they do consider Trey to like be like the guy already. Yeah. And then I feel like, so Sacramento obviously was projected to be one of the worst teams in the league this year, and then was a borderline playoff team all until about the last month of the season. I feel like I could see the Hawks taking that same leap next year with potentially bringing in two top five picks and Mm -hmm. the bottom of the East not being very strong. I mean, do you see the potential of sneaking into a 7-8 spot in the East next year? Yeah, and I, I remember you asked me this on um, the first podcast we did, and I and I said at the time I didn't see it. Um, you know, my opinion has definitely changed since then. I definitely do see it now. I, I, I do believe that this team has a chance to take that leap into being one of our, you know, the the final few seeds in the Eastern Conference because, like you mentioned, the East. I mean, it's it's weak. I, there's no denying that you know you look at the Pistons what they did last night against the Bucks. obviously they didn't have Blake Griffin but you can just see like they're totally overmatched and you know they have zero chance of beating the Bucks in a playoff series but um do I think the Hawks can definitely be in the race next year absolutely um I was looking at over under totals heading into the season actually right before you called me and you know, the Hawks were projected to win 23 and a half games this year. That was four full games worse than Phoenix, which was the 29th team um, that was projected to be in the league. So where the Hawks were heading into the season to now, obviously, I don't think anybody expected the Hawks to almost win 30 games. And, you know, if you did see the game 
uh, game 82, the Hawks had a chance to, to win the, their 30th game. Um, Torian Prince hit a three at the top of the key to give the Hawks a lead. I think it was with 1.6 seconds left. Um, Pacers advanced the ball. Pacers took a three in the corner, missed it, but DeAndre Benbury fouled. Um, forget who, who shot the, the three, but he fouled him in the corner. Pacers hit the three free throws. Pacers win the game. That's how the Hawks season ended. Um, it was, it was kind of ridiculous ending to the season, but yeah, I mean, like they were that close to winning 30 games already when, when this team, a lot of people didn't even know if they were going to win 20 games. So I do think that they have the capability to take another step forward. You know, John Collins averaged nearly 20 points, 10 rebounds per game. Trey Young averaged 19 points, eight assists per game. And like you said, the Hawks have potentially two top two top 10 picks in this upcoming draft. Uh, the tiebreaker was done on Friday between Dallas, New Orleans, and Memphis. Dallas's pick can't be higher than ninth, which is unfortunate for the Hawks because they wanted the, the Mavericks to win that tiebreaker because that would meant, that would have meant the ceiling for that pick would have been seventh instead of ninth. I mean, not the ceiling, but the, the floor. But it, instead, the, the Dallas pick can't be higher ninth and lower than 12th, I believe. So, I mean, they're still going to add two guys in the lottery. Again, you know, the Hawks have a 10.5% chance at winning the, the first pick, which will likely be Zion Williamson. And if they pair John Collins on one side with Zion on the other side, and then you have a dynamic point guard in Trey who can obviously make every single pass in the book. I mean, we're talking about one of the the best young cores in the NBA if that happens. So I think it's a, a bit early to say what this Hawks team can be heading into the upcoming season. But I do believe that, you know, depending on how this draft shakes out, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, they could be one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, and it's really similar to Sacramento. I mean, like you touched on, they were a game away and they really had the potential to get that 30-win mark. Sacramento was mm-hmm. the exact same with 40 wins, where their last game of the season, they were up 28 points, and then blow this crazy comeback where Afrini right. Simons has his career high, and the Trailblazers only play six players, which was just embarrassing. But at the same time, yeah, that was a wild game. technically <laughs> matter. But for a team that was looking like a bottom team, same as Atlanta, I mean, 40 wins is a milestone. You know, you want to reach Absolutely. I've been a big advocate of wanting Deadman on the Kings next year. I like the spacing that he brings. I feel like the rim protection is okay. It's better than Cully Stein at the very least. Do do the guys that you're looking at, if you were to see two top six picks, obviously when you're that high up, you don't always want to pick for fit. You want to Mm -hmm. go a little bit of best talent available. But I feel like after top three, there's kind of a pool of guys that are about on the same level. So is there positions that you feel like the Hawks are looking at there? Like, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, that your holes are a little bit on the wing and then you're big as well. Yes, for sure. So, yeah, I I mean, I talked to uh, the Hawks general manager, Trevor Schlenk, about, you know, his strategy for the draft. And he mentioned that where the Hawks are, it's way too early to draft for fit mainly because, you know, the majority of this team has fewer than three years of experience. So you don't really 
I mean, you have an idea of what these guys can be, you know, in year five, six, seven, whatever, but mainly you just have an idea. You don't know yet. So his strategy is to draft for talent. But then again, say the Hawks end up with the second pick in the draft. A lot of pretty much everybody thinks Murray State point guard John Morant is going to go number two. Now, if the Hawks have the number two pick, would they take Morant? Probably not. So again, I think a lot of it just depends on what they see as far as talent and fit goes. I think it's going to be a combination of both. But, you know, if they do end up number two, they would probably trade back and get more assets in future drafts. So I think it's just a combination of, okay, like this guy can fit our team and this guy is probably the most talented. You know, if the Hawks end up, say, in the the four to six range, then you start looking at guys like Jarrett Culver, DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish those guys and those guys wouldn't have any bearing on Dwayne Dedman's status with the Hawks if they decide to retain him because you know Culver and Reddish are wings Hunter can play some center if the Hawks want to go small definitely with Hunter very good defensive prospect he showed that you know he can definitely space the floor which is what the Hawks are looking for as far as every position on the court goes I believe he shot right under 44% from 3 Saw him make some really big threes in the national championship game just a few days ago with Virginia and Texas Tech, which is where Jared Culver is. Jared Culver goes. Hunter found Jared Culver in that game. I think Culver finished like 5 of 22, which is pretty astounding because leading up to that game, Culver was red hot from the field. Didn't matter really who was guarding him. That just shows you the kind of defensive prospect Hunter is. So if the Hawks end up in that four to six range, I would I would expect them to choose one of those guys. And then the Dallas pick, if it conveys, again, it's going to be from nine to 12 in that range. You have a prospect like Jackson Hayes. The thing with Hayes, I know I've seen some mock drafts project Hayes to the Hawks with that Dallas pick. Hayes is a center from Texas. But the thing with Hayes is that he doesn't shoot threes. And that's a problem because the Hawks really – like the spacing that Deadman provides for this team. Deadman shot 38% from three, either 38 or 39%. I don't, I don't remember the exact figure, but you know he's definitely a threat to shoot three. And if the Hawks ended up drafting a guy like Hayes, the spacing between him and Collins in the front court would, in, in my opinion, be not ideal unless Hayes develops a three-point shot. I mean, we, we saw it with the Hawks. Collins coming out of Wake Forest was not a shooter at all. He, he developed a three-point shot. This was his first year actually taking threes consistently. And he showed that, yeah, okay, like he's a threat now from, from three. He shot 36%. Alex learned the same thing. He shot under 33 combined in his five years in Phoenix. Ended up taking 204 three-point attempts this year and shot 36%. So there's really not a, a center in that top 15 who really presents a, a good replacement if the Hawks decided to move on from Deadman in that mix, just because the guys that are projected to be in the top 15, there's only one center, I believe, and that's Hayes and he doesn't shoot threes. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens there from talking with coach Pierce. He definitely would like Deadman to return mainly because he doesn't know how, this team 
could function moving forward without a, a five who can shoot threes like Deadman can, who can space the floor. As you mentioned, he's not the best defender in the world, but he's an okay defender, and that's fine. I mean, the Hawks definitely do need some rim protection. As I mentioned before, Collins got better as the year progressed, definitely turned into a better rim protector, but he's not the best rim protector, especially at the four position. So it's going to be interesting to see what the Hawks do. I do know that they really like Dwayne Dedman, and Dedman himself said that he would like to return to the Hawks. What does that mean? I don't know if it really necessarily means much. You know, there aren't many NBA players, let alone athletes, who are going to publicly say, like, look, I hated this team. I want out. Yeah. Um, trade me. Release me. I mean, that, that rarely happens. It, it definitely does happen. You know, Eric Bledsoe tweeted, I don't want to be here when he was in Phoenix. Um, can't say I blame him there. <laughs> um, just with how disastrous that yeah. Suns organization seems to be. But again, Deadman himself said he wants to return. I think it's just going to come down to what the Hawks do with this draft. If they, if they somehow land a center who fits what they want as far as shot profile goes. And in that top 15 mix, there's really not. And it's just going to depend on the money that Deadman can get on the open market and what the Hawks do want to pay him if the time comes where Schlank and Demon and his representation sit down and say, okay, like, what can we do here? Because I, I just don't think that Demon is a player that's worth, say, like $15 million per year. I just don't see it. I think Demon is 29 at this time. So, again, at what point is his, his body going to break down? You know, his three-point sh- uh, shooting is, is going to be there moving forward. But, again, you know, when when these guys start getting older, you just don't know how they're going to continue to develop. And I think paying someone like him $15 million per year, which is probably uh, starter money, I just don't know if, if, if it's a wise investment for the Hawks if that time came where Demon is um, asking for that money. If he did ask for that money, I don't know if the Hawks would say, okay, like, let's, let's make a deal. Yeah, and my question with Deadman, having not seen a ridiculous amount of Hawks games this year, I mean, how has he been effective with keeping up with the pace? You guys are number one in the pace to close out the mm-hmm. year, and he's not exactly a nimble guy. How has right. he been keeping up, moving up and down the floor? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely shown that, you know, the pace was not an issue. You know, he missed the, the final few games of the season with a foot injury. It's nothing serious. I think it was just more so the fact that the Hawks weren't going anywhere. And surprisingly, the Hawks found themselves in a position where they could really mess up their draft position. And again, it's it's pretty incredible to think that, you know, at the end of the season, the Hawks could have ended up like in that eight to nine range when, again, almost everybody universally thought this team was going to be the, the worst team in the league. Um, it was it, it got to the point where the Hawks had a bench Trey Young in game 81 against the Bucks because they were concerned that, you know, teams like Washington, Dallas, Memphis, and New Orleans could potentially um, leapfrog them for the best odds in the lottery. And they benched them for that game. So, but again, with Deadman, yeah, I mean, the pace, the Hawks, I think, I think the Hawks and I believe the Kings were two of the teams that had the fastest paces in the league. 
but the the pace really didn't affect Edmund all that much. He definitely showed that he can run the floor. He's not as he's obviously not as athletic as John Collins is, and Collins was the recipient of most of Trey's alley oop passes. Edmund received some of them, but um, you know he just wasn't as as athletic as Collins. But yeah, I, I don't think the pace really was an issue for for Deadman. You know, he definitely made a lot of threes in transition, which is what you would hope for, for a guy that, you know, is your five and a guy who the Hawks relied on to, you know, make those threes. And yeah, I mean, he definitely showed that, you know, he can play in transition and he can run up and down the floor. So, you know, if the Kings did sign him in free agency, I don't think it would be that big of a learning curve in their system. Yeah, because that's definitely become an identity for for both of these teams. I mean, like I said, Atlanta finished first. Sacramento surprisingly finished sixth, but it was a pretty close race hmm. in that top five. And I definitely would have thought Sacramento would have been one of the top five. Yeah, so did I. I was actually really surprised to find that the other day. And he, like you said, he spaces the floor, which the Kings really need. Fox and Bagley work great at getting inside, getting to the paint. So not having a big clogging the lane would be amazing. I was surprised to find he shoots 43% from corner threes, Deadman. Yep. Um, would you have any sort of interest? I'm trying to gauge the market here on a Willie Cauley Stein. I mean, he's 25 years old. He has a mm-hmm. nice touch around the rim. The thing that, I mean, his main strength would be that he can run the floor extremely well, but there's clear holes in, in the effort on rim protection on any sort of defense. Yeah. Um, I was looking at him actually the other day for, guys who could be Deadman replacements if, you know, the Hawks ended up moving on from him. You know, he fits as far as like the 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 age goes, um, you know, twenty five years old. But the thing with him is that, you know, like you mentioned, the the effort is a question mark. He doesn't shoot. And I think the Hawks have made it very clear that they would like a center who can shoot. Pauly Stein does not offer the Hawks that. Um, so, you know, if it came that, if it came time to, okay, like Deadman, thank you for your services. We really appreciate it. We're going to be moving on. I mean, I don't think it would really make too much sense for the Hawks to go after someone like him just because he doesn't really offer much. And the spacing between Collins and Cauley Stein would probably be, pretty horrific and uh borderline disaster so i just don't think he would make much sense he makes he makes sense being that you know he's probably a guy who hasn't reached his full potential just yet but again what he has shown so far he just doesn't fit what the hawks are really looking for in in a big man yeah and i struggle i mean i was talking about this earlier today i struggle to find a team that he does fit on i mean everyone's looking for a little bit of spacing and if you can't yep. play any sort of defense, but the fact yeah. is that it's not that he can't, he just doesn't care enough to, he doesn't lift his right. arms above his shoulders. So I've like <laughs> some young team, give him some money, hoping on a small contract that like a prove yourself deal that he'd be able to take it to another level. I mean, it's not like his, I, I, well, that's not true. His jump shot doesn't look great. I mean, he likes to, there was a game five games before the end of the year where he's doing behind the back dribble moves and pulling up mid range for absolutely no reason. Mm -hmm. 
So sometimes <laughs> it doesn't make sense, but I feel like some young team could take a risk hoping that he pans out at some point because yeah. he is still 25, like we said. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about it. Um, you know, the Hawks did the same thing with Alex Lynn this offseason. You know, when they signed him, people were like, what is the point of this? Like, yeah. you know, we saw what he did with Phoenix and really wasn't much of anything. So why are you giving him a two-year deal? Um, you know, he's the, he was a guy who came into Atlanta offered zero spacing. Um, as I said, he shot 25 threes in his five years in Phoenix. So again, what is the point of this? If you know that you want a center who can shoot threes. And again, as it turned out, Lang can shoot threes. I mean, in the, in the final game, um, no, the, the, in game 81 against the Bucks, um, Len had 33 points. I mean, he was shooting threes in transition from top of the key. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I didn't think that was possible. So, yeah, so maybe, um, you know, maybe the, the Hawks see a guy like Cauley Stein. Again, he fits the age range of where the Hawks would like to, you know, have a free agent. You know, he's 25. Again, maybe he hasn't reached his full potential yet. Maybe he needs a new change of scenery, which is what Len needed coming out of Phoenix. So maybe they could take a flyer, but again, it takes effort. Like Len, this previous offseason, made it a point to develop a three-point shot. I remember talking to him uh, before the season started. He told me that every single day in the summer, he shot uh, nearly 500 threes in the gym. Obviously a ridiculous amount of threes because he wanted to evolve. He took it upon himself to get better. You know, he knew that the Hawks wanted someone to shoot threes. And he said, you know what? Like, where this game is going, big men have to shoot now. Otherwise, like, unless you're a defensive anchor, like someone like Mitchell Robinson, who has no shot or hasn't developed a shot yet, what use are you to teams? So, again, I think it's just a matter of the work ethic. And if you're talking about his effort on defense just isn't there, then, yeah, I, I don't know how many teams are going to want to spend money on someone like that who work ethic may be a question mark. Because, again, where this league is going, like if you don't have shooters on your team then or shooters on the floor and you have a center who just clogs up room, then, you know, the spacing is going to be an issue. And, you know, you're probably not going to be as good of a team as you'd hope. So who knows what's going to happen there. But again, if work ethic, as you're saying, is a question mark, then it's probably not going to be the best fit for the Hawks if that's the direction that they um, take if Deadman moves on. Yeah. And I mean, only a small percentage of guys in this league are stars. And Cully Stein, before this year started, said he wanted to play for a big paycheck just recently compares himself to guys like Porzingis still. And it's like, you just have to know your role if you're not that <laughs> level of guy. Like, dude, you're not Porzingis. Like, you just need to accept that. And I can't to me, he could that. be a Clint Capella type player. And yeah, he can sure. run the floor if he had yep. some effort on defense. I think Capella is a little bit more intelligent in that regard. But you have to understand your role. But Atlanta has quietly a lot of money to throw around this free agency mm -hmm. and they don't have to spend it obviously but do you see them right. potentially looking at maybe a D 
different center in that regards that would maybe leave Deadman there, like a Brook Lopez, if he'd be interested in going to a lesser successful right. team? Yeah, so I was looking at the free agents yesterday, and Brook obviously would fit Atlanta perfectly. Shoots threes at a high percentage, good defender. He would fit seamlessly into what the Hawks want. Again, would he want to leave Milwaukee, who is going to make a run at the title this year? Would Milwaukee be fine letting him walk? I don't know. I'm obviously not around the Bucks every day. I don't know what the thinking is there. But, yeah, I mean, if, if Denman were to walk and if Brooke Lopez was a free agent this, this summer, I think it would be a, a very smart decision for the Hawks to give Brooks some money. Again, he's not the youngest center in the league, but he's shown that he can absolutely play at a high level and be a guy that fits perfectly fine in the locker room. When you talk to people around the league about Brooke Lopez, nobody's talking badly about Brooke in the locker room. He's not a problem, which is which is great for the Hawks because culture is a big thing for them. And Deadman was a guy in the locker room who a lot of the younger guys looked up to, a lot of the younger guys are friends with. So you want someone who can fit fine personality-wise, and I think Brooke would be a good fit. But again, I don't know if the Bucks are going to let him walk, and I don't know if Brooke wants to stay. I would assume that everyone on the Bucks would want to stay because, one, they get to play with Giannis, who is probably going to end up being the, the league's best player for the years to come likely going to be the MVP this year. So I just don't know if he is in a place where he would want to leave Milwaukee for the Hawks, who are obviously still rebuilding. I feel like the Hawks and Kings are going to be competing for a lot of free agents this offseason. And they're pretty similar situations, too, where they have young teams that are up and coming, maybe looking for that veteran guy. I mean, the center position for us and the wing as well are both big big mm-hmm. holes and then we also look at a backup point guard is another big one I mean we see Patrick Beverly thrown around there's different guys like Corey Joseph I mean on a lower level not as popular Ricky Rubio another one I see thrown in there that spent some time in Atlanta this year is Jeremy Lin how was mm-hmm. how was his production this year when he was in Atlanta so Lin uh, starting the season was abysmal I mean there's really no other way to describe him he was really bad, um, mainly because, you know, he was working back from injuries. He obviously had the, the devastating injury game one two years ago, and then he had hamstring issues last year, which caused him to miss, I believe it was half the season or more than half the season. So, you know, two straight years where he had serious injuries. So it took him quite a while to get going. But once he did get going, Lynn was fantastic. He definitely was at some points better than Trey, especially during that month in November where Trey was really, really bad. But yeah, Lynn's production was absolutely great. The only problem with Lynn is um, December, not December, January and February before the trade deadline, uh, his production really cratered. I don't know if it was just because the minutes he was getting was inconsistent, um, but his shot just looked flat, didn't really have the explosion anymore. 
I mean, his explosion was limited pretty much all season, again, because he was working his way back from injuries. But his production, I just don't know what it was. I mean, I would ask Jeremy, like, are you healthy? And, you know, he would say, yeah, I mean, I feel fine. But again, there was just something missing, especially in January and February, um, where the Hawks were like, man, like, can we actually, because he was on an expiring deal and the Hawks made it pretty clear that they were trying to trade Jeremy for some sort of future assets. And when the trade deadline rolled around, Lynn was on the market and they couldn't get any interest. You know, they ended up buying him out, which was expected because Lynn wanted to play for a team that was going to be in the playoffs, had a chance to do something. But then he goes to Toronto and his production there continued to be the same as it was in January and February. He got to Toronto and just wasn't very good. So I I don't know what Jeremy's market is going to be this offseason. You know, he's definitely a guy that is wonderful in the locker room. Trey credits a lot of his success to Jeremy. Jeremy was unbelievable as far as mentorship goes. But, you know, if you're looking for on-court value from your backup point guard, I just don't know what Jeremy can offer at this point of his career. I don't know if it's something that, you know, he just needs to get 100% healthy in the offseason Maybe he's still feeling some lingering effects with his knee and his hamstring. I don't know what it is, but, you know, if you're looking for someone to be a guy who carry the second unit, I just don't know if he's that guy right now. Yeah, to me, Jeremy Lin's a little bit more of a secondary option if we spend the rest of our $33 million on guys like Lopez or potentially Bojan mm-hmm. Bogdanovich or something like that. So it's interesting, and that veteran leadership is definitely something that the Kings need with Corey Brewer about to be gone, being the oldest guy. Next, you have Elitza and things like that. So I think it's interesting, and I wouldn't necessarily be hurt because there's still a chance that Yogi Ferrell is here next. Mm -hmm. Okay, as a backup point guard, we don't need someone to blow us away necessarily. I'm curious in regards, this, and this is the last question I have for you, Chris, is who you're looking at at that wing position a little bit because the free agent market there is not great past the tier A guys of obviously, you know, Durant, Kawhi. I mean, I see Bojan Bogdanovic, like I just said, on a level below them. But then after that, it gets a little questionable. Like, I I don't really, it's difficult for me to find guys like a Rudy Gay. I mean, Danny Green. So who interests you there in that wing position? Yeah, I mean, like you said, you know, there really aren't many guys out there who I think, you know, the Hawks should spend like all their money on. I know from talking to, you know, guys in the front office, they're hoping to get at least meetings with guys like Durant, Clay Thompson. But again, nobody thinks that these guys are actually going to be interested in signing with the Hawks. But if they did end up getting a meeting with them, I would definitely consider it success because I think it'll show guys across the league, like what are the Hawks doing that someone like Durant is meeting with them or Clay Thompson is meeting with them. They're, they got to be doing something right to even just spend a few hours with them in their front office and their coaching staff. So from talking to some of the guys in the front office. I mean, that's what they're hoping for. They want 
they want to get some interviews and get some meetings with them. But again, I don't think they're banking on signing any of these guys. So, I mean, looking at other free agents, there's just really not anybody that really piques my interest. I think Danny Green would be a good guy to have on this team. Good shooter, obviously plays really good defense. But again, I don't know what Toronto is, is planning on doing there if they want to bring him back. You know, he's an un- unrestricted free agent. Um, Bogdanovich, I think he's been absolutely incredible for the Pacers. I just don't know if they're going to end up moving on from him. I wouldn't. Outside of those guys, I mean, they're just not many good guards and wing players out there who I think would be of interest to Hawks fans to keep an eye on. I think that they're the, the likelier option is that the Hawks end up taking two wings with their first pick. If they don't like any of the, the big men options in that top, top 10 range. And those guys are going to be the wings that the, the Hawks go with as far as free agents or draft pick goes, because I just don't think there are many guys out there who really fit with the, with the Hawks. I mean, Jimmy Butler is a free agent, but Butler has shown that, and I think Butler would be a good fit on the court for the Hawks. But as we've seen, Butler is a nuisance in the locker room, no matter where he is. And culture and closeness is super important to this team. And having someone like Butler, who is essentially a grenade in the locker room, I think would be a disaster. Um, so I don't think that it would be a fit at all when we talk, when we combine on-court value and off-court value. But outside of those guys, I just don't really see many guys out there in free agency who really make a lot of sense for the Hawks. There are probably some lower-tier guys who can f- just fill holes. But if you're looking at guys who have a big impact on the Hawks next season, I just don't think there are really many options out there at this time. And Again, I don't think it's a big deal for the Hawks at this time, mainly because I asked this question the other day at exit interviews to Lloyd Pierce. I asked him, because this team has shown success, do you feel like the the path to rebuilding has accelerated a little bit? And he made it very clear that accelerating the rebuild is not something that they're very interested in at this time. And I think it's the the smart decision because – Yes, the Hawks have shown like, okay, they have a promising future, but 29 wins is still relatively nothing at the end of the day. I mean, if they won 30 games, it's still nothing at the end of the day. I mean, there's still 22 games under 500 if they win 30 games. So what does 30 games even mean? So I think the, I think the smart plan would be to wait this summer you know, fill fill holes where it's necessary, and wait till the following summer to actually make make bigger moves. Because at that point, Kent Bazemore he opted into his player option at nineteen million dollars. Kent Bazemore is not a nineteen million dollar player. I think he knows that. Everybody knows that. Miles Plumlee's making twelve and a half million. He obviously is not worth twelve and a half million dollars. Both those guys come off the book the end of this upcoming season. So right there, you have $31 million in cap space alone that's coming off the book. So I think the wise decision for the Hawks would be to, you know, try to get meetings with these bigger bigger names, create some buzz, but really make your move the following summer. I think that's when the Hawks should 
be bigger players on the free agency market. I just don't see it this upcoming summer. And I think Sacramento can take a little bit of the same, that there's no guys that are blowing you away, especially at that wing position where you could use some defense and some spacing. Right. There's no harm in waiting. To that point, I think a lot of fans get a little impatient when yeah. in terms of free agency because obviously fans want championships immediately. And a lot of fans don't realize that a lot of the times it just doesn't work that way. There's a process to getting to be at that level of competing for championships. I don't think Sacramento is there yet. I don't think Atlanta's there yet. I think they're they're close. I think they're in that category of teams that if things go their way, if they get draft picks that really fit, if they somehow get a free agent who really fits their plan, then I think they can take that step forward. But as of now, I mean, going into next season, do I think the Kings – and the Hawks have any shot at all at being a championship contender? Absolutely not. So what is the, I guess, what is the point of using your cap space for players who aren't going to help you at the end of the day win a championship? Do you just want to spend money to spend money? I don't think that's a wise decision. And I think the Kings and the Hawks probably recognize that. So I think it would be wise for both teams to, really focus on the 2020 summer where I think they'll be in a much better place moving forward and they'll have more cap space. And I think at that time they, they, they will have shown that, okay, like these teams, they're young teams. And I think they have what it takes to actually take that next step forward. I think, like you said, it hurts to skip steps in the process. I mean, we saw it with Minnesota, yep. which I think yep. It was a good trade in theory, but a lot of it had to do with that locker room. And say they mm-hmm. had Laurie Markinen and Zach Levine still next to Carl Anthony Towns. That's an entirely different situation that you're looking at there. So 100%. you want to play it a little bit slow. I mean, they have a nice core moving forward, like you said, and it's headed in the right direction. Just got to have a little bit of patience, even though you're tasting some success. But that was all that I had for you, Chris. Was there possibly anything else you wanted to get out there? No, I think we... uh we covered it all. You know, I, I, I do think that, you know, I, I was in Sacramento for the Hawks-Kings game. I believe it was in December. Uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, but it, I was there for that game. And the similarities between the teams are definitely apparent. You know, the Hawks got blown out by the Kings both times they played them. And I think that's mainly because the Hawks, as we talked about with their pace, they found a team that plays just as fast as them or even faster than them, and it was too much for the Hawks. So I I do think the similarities between the two and how they play is super similar. And I also think both of these teams are just really fun to watch. Like, I I like watching the Kings play. I mean, for years, I didn't like watching the Kings play. I don't think many people liked watching the Kings play. Even Kings fans. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like, they just were not very fun to watch. And I think they have a really exciting group. And I'm excited to see how they grow. I mean, I really like Fox. I really like Bagley, really like Heal. And I think those guys fit really well together. So I'm excited to see what they do moving forward. Yeah, so am I. And I got to mention Giles in there too. I feel like he's pretty slept on yeah, it. There's Giles, a lot of potential yep, there sure. too. Yep, 100% agree with you. Thank you very much for taking the time, Chris. You can check out a lot of his work on The Athletic. That is Chris Kirshner, the Hawks cover. Is there anything else that you have going on besides your athletic work? 
no, just that. I mean, you know, the, the lottery is obviously next month and then the draft and then summer league. So the NBA really never sleeps, even if your team's eliminated from the playoffs. So just a lot of off-season work coming up on the athletics. So if you guys haven't subscribed, I'd definitely recommend doing so. Mainly, not only just for my work, obviously, but the work across the athletic is unbelievable. I mean, there's just so much good content every single day. Not only from like the NBA people, but every single sport. I mean, we have some of the best writers in sports writing in the country and in Canada. You know, if you like, let's say, the Dallas Stars, I mean, we have coverage on that top to bottom. So it's really, really worth the investment. I definitely recommend it. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, I'm on The Athletic every single day reading articles. There's yours. Jason Jones is the Kings guy who's given us crazy good insight on this whole Jaeger and Luke Walton situation. One of my favorites right. is Jovan Buha for the Clippers. But like you said, outside of the NBA, there's there's a whole lot more too. So definitely would recommend. There's a free trial that you can get if you wanted to test it out, yep. I believe, right? Yep, theathletic.com slash free trial seven days you can read as much as you want and then after the seventh day if you decide that you want to join i think it's 30 percent off but we also have a playoff promo right now i don't know the exact url for that but i mean if you just follow if you just follow athletic guys on twitter they'll be tweeting it out all playoffs and it's 40 percent off which is an incredible deal as i mentioned there's so much good content definitely recommend subscribing if you haven't Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the King's Pulse podcast. Give the podcast a follow on Twitter at Kings underscore Pulse and give Chris a follow as well at Chris Kirshner to keep up with anything Atlanta. Very similar paths that these two teams are going on, similar play styles. They're both very fun, young, and exciting to watch. But that is going to do it for this episode. Again, thank you very much for taking the time, Chris. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.